We're live. We. This is a presentation of Northeast Streaming Sports. If you like the sweet science, get ready to talk boxing on the Gloved Fist podcast with top boxing writers Frank Letirzo and Jack Hirsch. Frank, a former amateur boxer out of Philadelphia, writes for NY Fights and can be seen on the Boxing Channel. Jack, an amateur boxer who competed in the New York Golden Gloves, was a six-term president of the Boxing Writers Association. And now, here's Frank Letirzo and Jack Hirsch. And we're back. Welcome to Glove Fist. My name is Frank Letirzo, former fighter, part-time writer, full-time observer and analyst. I am joined tonight by former six-term Boxing Writers Association of American of America President Jack Hirsch. Tonight we have a big show. We're going to discuss the big fights of the past weekend. We're going to feature Danny Lillard Lopez. We're going to look back at Mayweather and De La Hoya. And then in the last segment of the show, we're going to preview one of the biggest fights of the year between Canelo Alvarez and Dimitri Bivol. Jack, how are you tonight? I'm really good, Frank. An exciting last weekend of boxing. I don't know is Canelo and Bivol one of the biggest fights of the year. I guess it is because Canelo's in it. Yeah, that's a good point. Whenever Canelo fights, it's more than justified. It's an event, but it might be a very good fight and an upset is not beyond the realm of, realm of possibility. Well, we'll get through our thoughts on that. Now, I haven't talked to you. You were away last week. Did you go to the Serrano fight? Serrano no, Katie? No, I was driving back from Florida, so uh, that's one of the rare ones I missed in New York. I saw it on the zone, you know, watched it as a fan. And Did I you see it live? Uh, I saw it the next morning as if it was live. Uh you didn't know the result? I wasn't fun, didn't know the result. Saw it five, and I scored the fight as if I was seeing it live, you know. As okay, well. then you know what? I didn't see it live, but I watched it after I knew the result. I'm going to give a quick take, and then since you sort of seen, saw it live, that you pick up from there. As you know, I was not a big female boxing fan. I did not. I was not a big fan of female boxing. I'm not going to deny it. I haven't followed it, but I did get caught up in the hype of this fight a little bit. I had to go to an engagement surprise party Saturday night, so I missed it. I saw the Stevenson fight live, but I didn't see Serrano and Taylor. However, here are my observations after seeing it live, but knowing the result. I'm not going to give a score. We'll go by Jack there. I'm not going to break my rule because you can't score it, in my opinion, unless you see it live. Yeah. However, let me just say this, Jack. For someone who was down on women's boxing, and I didn't like that the fights weren't 12 rounds and they weren't three minutes around, I have to admit, I was very impressed with both women when it comes to their fighting ability and their technical ability. And what I grasped, Seeing both of them basically for the first time is Taylor's a better boxer. Serrano's a better puncher. I think Taylor had the edge early and late. I think Serrano won in the middle. But I'll just say this. It was an outstanding fight. And the technical aspect of that fight did not disappoint. The women have come a long way. And I have to admit, I was impressed. And I'm glad that they got the spotlight that they did. I look forward to seeing them both fight again. And I'll close with this. Again, I was impressed with their skill. And they deserve all the accolades. They delivered as far as the decision. Just scoring it like in my head a little bit. I could see 96, 94 either way. Again, I thought Taylor early and late. Serrano in the middle. You go. Yeah, you know, you got me to thinking, Frank, and I didn't think about this until I just heard you talk. And if you want to do a little comparison to men's boxing, the women fight two-minute rounds. Uh, so they fought a total of 20 minutes. It was a 10-round fight. 
Okay, so they fought a total of 10 rounds, two minutes per round, 20 minutes. Right. The men in the championship fight would be 12 rounds and three minutes, 36 minutes. That's 16 minutes longer, nearly twice as long. If you want to prorate it to the amount of minutes comparing to men's boxing, it lasted two minutes into the seventh round, which, and I'm not knocking the women for it. I'm kind of thinking, Frank, instead of talking about women's boxing being made from two to three minute rounds, because if it was, I don't think Taylor Serrano would have been as exciting. They would have had to pace themselves more. If you made the men's fight two minute rounds, a 10 round fight, they'd be going at it a lot harder. You wouldn't have that feeling out process the same way. So I think you get actually more exciting fights. So this is food for thought, Frank. Rather than think of it one way that women should be fighting three-minute rounds, 12, uh, 12 rounds per title fight, maybe we should look at it the other way. It's just food for thought. Maybe the men's should be cut to two minutes and 10 rounds. Imagine the fights we would get then, the action. It would be like a sprint like that fight was. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The only thing I'll say, Jack, where I oppose you a little bit is I want 15 rounds back. I don't want your fight. I'm, I'm kind of playing devil's advocate. Right. It's, it's something to put on the table to discuss in theory. Okay. I don't think anyone is going to cut men's rounds to two minutes. But imagine if they did in a certain fights. Imagine Crawford and Spence. It was a 10-round fight, two minutes per round. You know the way Crawford comes out very slowly, deliberately. Yeah, he'd have to change that. Oh, he'd have to change. And you you get a, a terrific fight. With that said, I had Serrano up one point, five rounds apiece. The fifth round, I gave it to Serrano, 10-8. There were no knockdowns but she was battering Taylor and even the punch count, which you're no big fan of. And I use it as a guide. Basically. Right. I understand where you're coming from, Frank. Uh, she outlanded Taylor 44, 14, and, she, and it looked like Taylor might go. So that wasn't a normal 10, nine round to me. So I had it five rounds apiece, a 10, a round for Serrano. She was up one point. What? And, Apparently, one judge had a 10-8 round who scored at 96-93. I'm not sure, was it that round that he scored, you know, or whatever. But Glenn Feldman, a good judge, had it four points for Taylor. That was a little extreme. The other judge, three points for Taylor. And one had Serrano up two points. I don't think anyone could complain about the decision in this sense. If you're a Serrano supporter, keep this in mind. Serrano, just like Jack Hanrell against Josh Taylor, didn't close the deal over the last right. three rounds. The 10th round was a barn burner. She did all she could. Credit to her for fighting a strong 10th round, which I gave to Taylor, but was close and she let it all hang out. But you got to close the deal. You got to finish the job. And after that fifth round with Taylor in such trouble, and Serrano then even coming on more in the sixth and seventh a bit. You know, it, Taylor got back in the fight. Serrano let Taylor get back in the fight. And see, there's no room to complain. It was a terrific fight. And uh, Well, Jack, maybe the controversy helps it a little bit because I've seen a lot of things online where a lot of fans want to see them run it back. And if they did, I, it might even be bigger – then the first fight, I'll just say this. From what I saw in the fifth round, even when Serrano had the better of it, Taylor was fighting back. And I will say this about Taylor. I saw her do some things where she was hooking off the jab, lead hooks. And I thought, this is a, she's not a puncher. Everybody knows that. But she's a sophisticated fighter. And I really respect that. And I was impressed with the skill level. Now, if they fought again, I will say this. I would favor Serrano because I think she can improve more so than Katie. I'm not sure Katie can fight any better in a rematch. I don't think either one can improve too much. Serrano's been around a while. Consider that. I've seen Serrano in small club shows on the undercard pick fights. Listen, I saw that the garden, it seems not that long ago, a couple of years ago, against Heather Hardy. And she really 
didn't look like a world beater, Serrano, in that fight. I saw in Miami on the Jake Paul, you know, show that Jake Paul, I don't want to say right. headline because Demetrius Andrade was technically the headline in Miami. But you've seen in all these shows, and people forget Serrano even quit boxing and was going to try uh, mixed martial arts in the way Clarissa Shields, in a way, is trying because she couldn't get a meaningful fight. No one could advance her boxing career. And we could laugh about Jake Paul all we want. He's the guy who really took Serrano and led her into this fight. Under his wing, you know, she got publicized the right way. Madison Square Garden was sold out, uh, Frank. I wish I was there on reflection, but I just... Over 19,000 people, I believe. Right, driving in from Florida right before, and I had in my mind way in advance, you know, I had a lot of business to take care of. But you could tell the crowd was so into it. It was like an Army Navy football. It really game. was. They re, it was electric. There was no doubt. I was so surprised about that. And it really did. It was one of the rare fights, big fights, where the real exit, where the realization exceeded the expectation. So my hats off the, to them. I disagree with you a little bit. I do think I think Serrano can improve more, Jack, because. Taylor outboxed her. Serrano kind of had some laps where she wasn't busy enough. She's got to she got to up her game a little bit, but she's a stronger fighter, harder hitter. But Katie's tough, and what I like about Katie is same thing I like with the men's fighters. She didn't let many punches go unanswered, and I think that's why she stayed in the fight even in the rounds that she was losing. But it was a great night, and they they're they're both going to become minor stars off of it. Well, they're, they're talking about having a rematch in Ireland. If it's in Ireland, do you really think Serrano can get a decision over there? Well, that would make about, it tough. I'm talking about neutral judges, just the crowd noise, the atmosphere. I, I just don't quite see it. I don't mean Serrano would get robbed, but if Serrano would win a le- legitimately six of the ten rounds, I don't think she would be given. It would be hard for her to get a decision. I agree. And I agree yeah. with Joe Bergman. I think she took some rounds off. And with that many swing rounds, it had to come back to bite her. Right. And like I said, I had up five rounds to two. And so I had up four points after seven rounds. <clears throat> and she let the last three rounds go. Even though the 10th round, let's not criticize her. She really gave it all she had. That was a great, great round. But, you know... Couldn't quite close it. They said a furious pace. They said a furious pace. Frank, there was another great women's fight years ago that has gotten lost in time that deals with your favorite fighters. The daughters of your favorite fighters, Ali Frazier. I was at that show at the right. Dunn Casino in Verona, New York. And that fight has gotten lost in history as far as how exciting it was. It was nearly just about as exciting as their dad's fights. The two of them, Jackie Frazier, Layla Ali, they went at it for eight rounds. It was a barn burner. It was the woman's version of the thrill in Manila. That's how good it was. I mean, it was a phenomenal fight, and this was a phenomenal fight. And uh, it was great to support women's boxing. God, that, this was historic. When you could sell out Madison Square Garden. Absolutely. Like, it was, but this was historic. They've arrived with that fight. There's no doubt about that. Now let's talk, Frank, about the semifinal over the weekend that took second fiddle to what we just talked about. Uh, a pretty good matchup in its own right. Stevenson against Valdez. Jack, I have to tell you this. Stevenson is going to be very hard to beat. He's a complete fighter. He does everything well. He has a great defense, a tremendous ring IQ totally relaxed, never tires, punches hard enough, so composed with mechanics. To me, Valdez, aside from maybe the third round, he wasn't really in the fight. Stevenson showed up. He took the bull by the horns. He knew this was his coming out party, and I was impressed with Stevenson because he didn't run. Did he move? He did. He took away Valdez's left hook made him throw right hands. He countered him. And I've read where some guys have said, well, Stevenson can't punch. Let me tell you something. That jab he was landing on Valdez definitely impeded his ingre- his aggression 
and made him think twice about coming in. Frank, listen now to what I have to say. And first, let me start, but listen carefully. I'm not a fan of Stevenson. I think he's in. I don't like him either. He's an arrogant kid. Absolutely. A lot to learn. I don't root for him to succeed. I don't. I mean, I don't root for him to lose. Don't get me wrong, but I'm not a fan of his. He's extremely immature. Okay. And that, and I'm being polite. I could could expand on that. I'm being polite by just saying he's extremely immature. Now I'm going to make a statement. I'm going to make a statement. And you're going to disagree right now. You're going to say, well, maybe. I'm going to, you ask me who the best pound for pound boxer is. I'm going to say Stevenson right now, in my opinion, is the number one pound for pound fighter in the world. Now, you're going to say, how could you put him on top of Terrence Crawford? Stevenson has been totally dominant in every fight in the fashion that Roy Jones was in his prime. Okay. He doesn't lose rounds. He's not being given a hard, difficult time by any opponent. You talk about total domination. I know there's the new wave of fighters who we're both fans of, like Boots Ennis, who's on the way up, who I'm sure are going to make their case, you know, some point in the future. And I know we have our usual guys like Terrence Crawford comes to mind. Canelo, Canelo loses rounds. Canelo loses rounds. I mean, in case Canelo's lost three fights. Right. He ultimately prevails. Crawford actually is extended at times, but, you know, and then he wins in spectacular fashion. He lost some rounds to Port in his last fight, but but then he took control and then he closed the show. Other fights as well. He starts slow against Kel Brook, then he explodes. I mean, but Stevenson is so utterly dominant. And why I say number one, he has a style, a style, okay, in which it seems it's nearly impossible to beat because he's so skillful within the stone. I know the resume with Lee Grove says, and thanks for filling in for me, Lee, last week. You did a great, great job, uh, better than I often do. But, but the resume, <laughs> that's why I came back, Lee. I don't want the Lou Gehrig syndrome of Wally Pip, you know. I'm back quick enough. But, but the... I know the resume isn't quite there. So I'm not saying he should be listed as number one pound for pound. I, I understand. You can't quite list him as the number one pound for pound fight in the world. If I had to put it on paper, I would obviously put Crawford ahead of him based on accomplishment. But I, let me throw an analogy, Frank. Tom Brady has all the Super Bowl, all the Super Bowl appearances. He's Terrence Crawford, and Stevenson is Patrick Mahomes, let's say. If if someone says, I think Mahomes is greater than Brady, Rogers, and all, you're basing it in large part on upside, what the guy has done so far and what you see. Your reaction? I could never, ever, ever, ever put him above Crawford, basically because of the resume and I, I want to see if Steven is as resourceful as Crawford against the elite opponents. But I don't think what you said is crazy or out of the realm. I still want to see what kind of chin he has. And I want to see him in with against better people. And let's face it, Jack, he has the opponents out there to get that done. The kid is only 24 years old. He's only going to get better. He looked huge. He's one of those guys that is stronger than he looks, hits a little harder than he looks, and his physicality does take a lot out of the guys he's fighting. Because I think when they hit him and they realize they really can't move him or dent him, I think that does mess with them mentally. But if you look what he did to Valdez's face, and it's like, I didn't like how Valdez fought. I thought he had a little Dillian White in him. He didn't go after him enough. And let's face it, the only way he could beat him was to get inside and go after him. But I also know that the other guy had something to do with that. And that's Stevenson jab coming at you when you're trying to break that code, as he says. That is a big problem. And I'll tell you something else, too. You get on me a lot about liking Tank Davis. And I think Tank is skilled. I would love to see Tank fight Stevenson. 
I mean, uh, let me just say this. That would be a terrific fight, you know, assuming Tank and he should get it, the job done later this month against Raleigh Romero. They fight on May 28th at the uh, Barclays Center in Brooklyn. If I took the best five fighters in the world, pound for pound, off the pound for pound list, and I put all five next to Stevenson's name and I said, Frank, if you had to bet who's going to lose first eventually down the line, them or Stevenson, I would wager my own bet you would pick all five ahead of Stevenson that had suffered defeat before Stevenson does. I think you're probably right because he's younger. I think he's going to get bigger and stronger, and he can get better. So I, I would I would agree with that. But there are so many fights out there that I would love to see. Now, we know Tank's not going to fight him, but I would love to see that fight. I'd love to see him fight Garcia or Haney, Cambosa, or even Lomachenko. There's just so many fights. Let's just hope that they make them. But I do think that this kid is special. And I think he will, Lee. I think, I think, I think the, I think the boxing world right now is his oyster. I think he could stay at one thirty, compile all the titles. But I also think he can go to one thirty-five and fight the big boys. And I wouldn't be surprised if he makes that kind of a statement after the Cambosis Haney fight. Do you think he can become a transitional star? in the way Floyd Mayweather was, where he could pick his opponents rather than rather than get stuck the way a Demetrius Andrade is who can't get a fight, who never, you know, took the lead personality-wise. Because he's been promoted by top rank. They're getting him to a point where if they could get his Stevenson's name out there a little more, he, you know, he has a cloud of ESPN behind him. You know, Jack, that's a good question. I'm going to tell you what. I don't think so. And I'm not saying that Mayweather is better than him at the same age. I just don't think, and I'm glad we're doing the Mayweather-De La Hoya fight tonight because that was the start of it. I just don't think we're going to see another fighter be able to work the system quite the way Mayweather did. He was a pioneer in that, just like, Look, I think if Terrence Crawford wanted to pick his spots, he could probably break Mayweather's record and go 49-0 or 50-0, whatever you consider it to be. But I don't think we're going to see that. I think we're going to see him fight the elite guys. Spence, if he gets by him, maybe Ennis, maybe Charlo, or whoever. So I, I, I don't think we're going to see anybody do again what Mayweather did. And I'm not sure that – I'm not sure I ever see a day where I see Stevenson above 140 – where Floyd handled it pretty well. Floyd's actually a little bigger starting out, but I don't think we'll see anybody replicate what Floyd did. But I do think that Stevenson is as gifted. You do need, but you do need a dance partner. And the opponents you mentioned before, either pro promotional entities or circumstances, unfortunately, are going to prohibit it. I mean, Lomachenko's with top rank. Right. You know, he's serving in the military in Ukraine. He's in a much bigger and more important fight than anything in his boxing career. But if society, the world was normal, yeah, top rank would match Lomachenko with Stevenson. And that would be a major fight. That would be a major attraction. Lee, I, not Jack, I heard what you said, but I want to address Lee. Sure. I agree with your, I think, Lee, based off of this fight, I do think people want to see him fight. I want to see him fight again based on that. I want to see him in there with a guy that can push him to raise his game. And that was always my problem with Floyd. Floyd may have been even better than we think because I don't think he tested himself enough. Okay. Yeah, so anyhow, Jack, we're going to... Floyd with Andrade. Andrade would knock down opponents early. Like when I see him fighting, he just wouldn't quite be able to finish the job. He needed spectacular knockouts to create a buzz. He fought a little too complacent. Uh, yeah, he just didn't, he hasn't quite created the buzz. And it's more than just winning. Yeah, you want to create a buzz and excitement where people want to come back and see again. All right, Jack, we're going to let, let's get to our featured fighter who is maybe one of the most exciting guys of our era. The younger brother of Indian Red Lopez, Danny Little Red Lopez, 
featherweight champ from 76 to 80, retired 42 and 6 with 39 knockouts, was inducted into the IBF Hall of Fame in 2010, fought mostly on the West Coast, boxer, puncher, slow starter, basically known for his offensive punching power, um, vulnerable to going down early. Won his first 21 fights by knockout. All but one of those fights was in L.A. First loss was to Bobby Chacon. He got TKO'd in nine. Then he lost two of his next three fights. Stops Ruben Alavarez and Sean O'Grady, the first fighter to beat O'Grady. Stops Art Happy. And then in November of 76, he beats Dave Cody by decision to win the featherweight title of the year. He makes eight title defenses. And then at the end of his career, he loses to a guy who he could fight 100 times and he would never beat Salvador Sanchez. He loses to him in 13 rounds in 14, retires, comes back in 92, was stopped by a journeyman. That was pretty much the story of Lopez Jack. He was a TV fighter. He was fun. He could punch all action. And one of the best TV fights I've ever seen was his fight against Micah Yella. He stopped oh, yeah. him, I believe, in the last round. It was Rain Magazine's fight of the year. Danny Lopez was just on the doorstep of maybe being a great or a near great, not great action fighter, legit, legitimate champ, and we need more guys like Danny Lopez today. Yeah, I mean, Dan, little Red Lopez, he, he's actually the International Hall of Fame. He said IBF. He's in the I, said, I meant to say international. Yeah, Boxing Hall of Fame. And he was fortunate in a sense, unlike his brother, in that he didn't have to win the title against a great champion. His brother ran... No, he lost it to a great champion. Right. But his brother, Ernie Red Lopez, okay? His had to beat Napoli's. Had to fight Jose Napoli's. And that, you know, and... Napoli's One of the 10 best welterweights ever. Right. Napoli's deprived the number of men from becoming champions. So he Armando had little, Muniz, Hedgeman Lewis. Right. But, you know, uh, Little Red Lopez, he really did things the hard way. He had a rude awakening in his first fight. What a great California fight against Bobby Chacon. He got stopped. And you mentioned the Sean O'Grady fight. Sean O'Grady was fighting in Oklahoma City in the sticks against no-name opponents. He was totally unready. It was like taking a guy in the lowest level of the minor leagues and putting a bat in his hand, you know, a guy who's never seen a fastball more than 85 miles per hour, going right. to the league as they threw 100 miles per hour. He was in over so far over his head where he got stopped by Little Red, you know. Oh, Grady eventually had his day and had a nice little run. Right, ex exactly. But you look at, you know, what Little uh, Red Lopez did too. He beat guys like Oliveras and Choo Choo Castillo. Those are like passing of the torches. They're past their prime. Right. He beats those guys. Then he goes on a run and beats, you know, decent opponents. Nothing special. The fight with Michael Yala was a legendary fight. You know, I mean, what an exciting. That was a Saturday afternoon fight. Unbelievable fight. And then he, you know, loses his title to Salvador Sanchez. Okay. You know, it happens. And then in the rematch, you, you think, well, maybe he's going to be more ready. But you're right. I mean, Sanchez was a great champ. Just, Jack, just different leagues. And Sanchez, to a degree, reminds me a little bit of Muhammad Ali in the fact that he fights better against punchers than he does boxers. And Lopez coming straight to him. With no head movement. I mean, I actually felt sorry for Lopez because I was rooting for him in both of those fights. And I believe Ring Magazine caught up with Lopez and they did the best I ever fought. And they asked him about who was the best, who took the best punch of anybody he ever fought. And he says, well, he goes, I can't answer on Sal Sanchez because I don't think I hit him clean in 27 well, rounds, that's 25 rounds. In the rematch, uh, Sanchez stopped Lopez in the 14th round, in the first fight in the 13th. But what's interesting, I'm taking a look at the scoring. 
two of the judges in the rematch only had Lopez down three points after 13 rounds. So it wasn't like he was outclassed. It wasn't like it was one-sided. He did compete. That's what. But as each up. round went on, Jack and Lopez and Sanchez got a read on him. The beating got worse. Yeah, yeah. I mean, listen, they could have fought. You you mentioned they could have fought a hundred times. Look, if they fought twenty times, I mean, you can't say for sure Lopez wouldn't have found a way to win one time out of twenty. I don't think it was, uh, but. With that, I don't know if I could have picked him, Jack. Yeah. Sanchez had a great chin, and boy, he just he made Danny pay for every mistake. And I just don't think Danny was sophisticated enough at that level to give Sal a hard time. But closing the book on Danny, a fun guy. I saw a couple guys mention he was gaudy inside. I don't think he was quite world class like Sod, but I think Gaddy is a good comparison. And Danny Lopez was a player. In, during the one of the golden hours of boxing, I would like to have seen Little Red Lopez though come to the East Coast at least one time, you know, and, and fought maybe at Madison Square Garden just kind of to build himself up a little. Because even the great Jose Napoli, as he mentioned a little while ago, I remember he came, he fought at the Garden, a non title match against Pete Toro. You kind of want to see them make that appearance from East Coast to West Coast. Like if a guy's an East Coast fighter, you want him to go out to L.A. one time and have a right. fight, something like and that. And as Lee said earlier, there was talk of Lopez fighting Gomez, Wilfredo Gomez. Lee, I'm kind of glad that fight didn't happen because I think they're in two different leagues. Yes, if, if Danny catches him early, he might have a shot. But I would have had to have gone with Gomez at that time. But well, you know that Jack reminds me of that reminds me of a matchup that never took place: Barry McGuigan against the Zuma Nelson. Okay, that would have been the Stevie Cruz ended that. Yeah, but that would have been the equivalent: Little Red Lopez against Wilfredo Gomez. You know, yeah. Start. All right, Jack. We touched on Danny Little Red Lopez. We both respect him. He was good for the sport. Let's go to our featured fight. The, the only time that Oscar De La Hoya and Floyd Mayweather ever fought. And to me, Jack, this was the beginning of the end. Mayweather played this so good. At that time, they did 2.4 million buys. It was the biggest grossing fight in history. De La Hoya, prior to that fight, had only fought one time in three years. He fought in between the loss to Hopkins in 204, and then he fights Mayweather in May 207. And, Jack, here's where it all changed. For De La Hoya and Mayweather, HBO came up with a program called 24-7, where they followed the fires behind the scenes. And Mayweather put on the black hat and said, I'm going to be the bad guy here because I know Oscar's the good guy and I am going to build my brand. And boy, did he. They fight. There was talk going into the fight that Mayweather's father was going to train with him, train Oscar. They couldn't agree on money. Freddie Roach ended up working with De La Hoya. It wasn't a good fight. It was a close fight for 10 rounds, but Mayweather pulled it out in the 11th and 12th round. It was a split decision. I thought Mayweather won it. I thought it was a lot closer than it should have been, but it was the beginning of Money Mayweather and the brand that we would know for exactly another eight years to the day when he fought Manny Pacquiao and Mayweather's brand was established between 207 and 2015. And to me, Jack, once he beat De La Hoya, that was during the passing of the torch. And that's how he learned how to play the game. And in closing, before I throw it to you, just remember this. I don't know if a lot of people know this. Mayweather wins that fight. There was talk of a rematch. Then he retires. He goes to the WWF and takes on the big show. 
Mayweather and Vince McMahon became friends at that time. And Vince McMahon told Mayweather, Floyd, you have a style that only boxing fans can appreciate. You're not the kid next door. You don't have a gold medal. You can't be promoted like Sugar Ray Leonard or Oscar De La Hoya. Your stock and trade is being the bad guy and remaining undefeated because at the end of the day, you can say, nobody can beat me. As long as you're a heel, people will pay to see you want to get beat. And I think that rings true to this day. Yeah, good point. You know, the backdrop to that whole Mayweather-De La Hoya fight was fascinating because De La Hoya was trained by Floyd Mayweather Sr., Floyd Jr.'s dad. And they weren't talking, the two Mayweathers. They were, you know, I don't want to say feuding, having differences. And Floyd was trained by his uncle, Roger Mayweather. So it was a whole family dynamic. And Floyd Mayweather Sr. was in very solid as De La Hoya's trainer. De La Hoya loved him. He respected him so much. But he also understood, how can this guy train me to fight his son? So Floyd Sr. came up with a figure, $2 million. $2 million bucks. High priced at the time. But I don't think that itself is the reason why you know, him and De La Hoya didn't work together that one particular fight. Floyd Sr. would say, even before the fight, well, my sisters wouldn't be talking to me after, family members, because you're going against your own son, but who's close with the rest of the family. So it kind of messed up his head in that way, okay? So De La Hoya gets Freddie Roach, who Floyd Sr. basically despises to train him for that one fight. But uh, Oscar gets Floyd Sr. eight tickets to the fight. And to show you they were still on good terms and the fight ended, Floyd Sr. comes into the ring. He goes over to Oscar and says, you won the fight. Exactly. Oh, let me won the fight over his son. He probably regrets Stewie saying now. Okay? He probably regrets it now. But it was one of those things where when the fight was over, you know, Oscar wanted Floyd Sr. back for future fights. He said, no one could push my buttons the way Floyd Sr. can. He gave him a high, high recommendation, you know, as a trainer. And then the Mayweathers eventually patched up right. the thing. But there was some dynamic. As far as the decision, I agree with you, Frank. Mayweather edged the fight out. You know, he won the fight. Listen, he won the fight either seven rounds to five. You can make a case eight rounds to four. But I will say this, Okay. That fight showed me something. Oscar was past this prime, but he came up with a big effort. Sometimes fighters do that. They're past And was in the fight with just a jab. Right. They come up with a supreme effort. Then when he stopped jabbing, that hurt Oscar a lot. Exactly. That, that, that me, Frank, if this was sports, the playoffs, best four out of seven, I think Mayweather maybe edges it 4-3. Four fights, Mayweather wins three, De La Hoya wins. And I wouldn't maybe, maybe Oscar wins four out of the seven. I think it goes down to the wire, Frank. I'm not sure, Jack. I'm not going to disagree with that, but I'll tell you what. I'm not sure that I would pick Floyd at welterweight to beat the Oscar who fought Trinidad and Mosley. And it's I because I'm picking two fights that he lost. One I thought he clearly won against Trinidad, but... I think that fight showed that May that De La Hoya, had he been more active and in better shape, I think there's a shot he could have won. But when he stopped jabbing and he didn't fill that hole, that hole Floyd did what good fighters do, great fighters do, and he filled the hole. But Jack, think about this. In a couple of minutes, we're going to be talking about Canelo and Bivol. It's a huge fight. Canelo has followed, to a degree, the Mayweather plan. And Mayweather has shown a lot of these guys how to make big fights, grow your brand, and get the people interested in you. Because, you know, even though some people think Canelo is a good guy, he has a mean streak to him. And like Floyd, a lot of people tune into his fights because they want to see him get beat. 
I don't know. I don't think Canelo is unpopular. I don't think, I, I'll disagree, Frank. I don't think people look at Canelo as a villain in fights. I think he's more popular than not. I don't think Canelo's a braggart. I don't think he puts opponents down. I think he kind of counters. If they say something negative about him, then he's going to answer. If, if you're fighting Canelo and you're very polite and nice to Canelo, I think he reciprocates. But I think people look at, Jack, I think people look at Canelo like they did Mayweather. You have all the home cooking, you have the judges, and you're the star, and you're going to get the benefit of the doubt in the close <laughs> rounds. And I think, and, and as far as managing his career, the only thing is I think Canelo actually has a better resume than Floyd because he's fought a few guys in their prime. But he has some big names on his record, like Floyd, but, or I'm saying he has big names on his record like Floyd, but a lot of them are past their prime. But he he is fighting a couple guys that do that have presented a threat to him. Where to me, when I look back at Mayweather, I think his best win is Diego Corrales. And obviously, as time goes on, the Canelo win looks better, but he was smart to fight Canelo. He fought him before he really peaked. That would be like Crawford going after Ennis oh, now. Canelo, Canelo, Canelo was a pretty experienced fighter when he fought Mayweather. I'm Jack, sorry. Jack, he had never Canelo, been in a big fight. He had to come in at 152. He had been in big fights. He beat guys like Austin Proud, Arizona, Lara. He'd been in with tough guys. It wasn't a novice. I'll grant you this much. Canelo learned from that fight, and he's improved since. He's oh, I think he's re improved remarkably since that fight. But he was still a highly competent and experienced fight at the time. He wasn't like a novice. He took the fight because he thought he could win the fight. I mean, it's that simple. And, uh, I think it was. I I think it was. Oh, I think he thought his size would be the difference. But Mayweather, to me, when he made a commitment one fifty two, that took away his size. If you ever see pictures of them at the weigh in. Canelo looks like a skeleton. But look, he's done that to other fighters. And we might as well transition to Bivol and Canelo. And Jack, it's a big fight this weekend. But you know what I like about this fight and what I want us to try to get into before we make our picks and break down the fight? First of all, I love that there's no catch weight or rehydration clause. I love that because I think some people lose sight of how hard it is to make weight they see a thing where well it's only two pounds yeah jack you can lose two pounds easy i can lose two pounds easy but with when we are in prime shape those two pounds take a lot out of you in the last week of the fight and you can't put them on put put the, or you can't recoup that just by gaining the weight and that's why i like that there's no catch weight in this fight if you look at bivol i think he was 179 in his pro debut well what if and that was eight or nine years ago what if canelo makes him come in at 171 could he make the weight possibly but i don't know what bivol looks like at 171 same thing with Cotto when he fought pacquiao they fought at 155 people say Cotto was fighting at 140 Yes, but by the time he moved up, he was not a 140-pounder anymore. So I like that this is a legit fight, no catch weight, and no rehydration clause. I got I to gotta tell you something funny <clears throat> in regard to that. We're talking light heavyweights and weight. I was at a banquet yesterday. It was a it kind of makeup banquet because of pandemic when you had to be offered a New York State Boxing Hall of Fame. And getting inducted into the New York State Boxing Hall of Fame yesterday was a former light heavyweight champion, Donnie Lalonde. And I had a chance to talk to him. And we were talking about his fight against Sugar Ray Leonard when Leonard challenged Lalonde for Lalonde's title. But he made Lalonde come in at 168. And I told Lalonde, you know, you never should have lost the title that way. He never took your light heavyweight title off you. You weren't fighting him at the light heavyweight poundage. It should have been considered a non-title bout. It's ridiculous. The reason we have weight divisions, you can't put a title on the line if it's a catch weight. It has to be fought at that weight. 
It's absurd. Jack, I agree with you, but when you're Sugar Ray Leonard or Delahoya or Mayweather, you are the star. Donnie Lalonde made $5 million fighting Sugar Ray Leonard. He couldn't get that $5 million anywhere else, so he probably thought, I'm still the bigger guy. I'm going to try it. I, I, I can still beat him. But Sugar Ray was smart, and I, I don't consider Sugar Ray a, ever light heavyweight champ, ever. Now, Bivol, does he have to come in at any type of catch weight? No. No. And, and then that, that says a lot about Canelo in a positive way, that he's not making Bivol take off a couple of pounds, even to make him come in at 173. Exactly. A little bit. That's so, why, Jack, if he wins Canelo? his fight, Let's talk about that. If Canelo wins this fight, he has to get credit. Now, I, I, and that's what I want to talk about beforehand. Jack, say Canelo wins the fight, and he wins, and there's no, there's no discrepancy like there was with the Glovkin fight. He wins the fight outright. People are going to say he handpicked Bivol. My argument to that is Bivol is clearly bigger than him. He's not being compromised at the weight. He fights a style that all low, although Canelo has gotten a lot better against movers and he's improved a lot. It's still a style that has trouble Canelo. So before the fact, Jack, where do we look at Bivol in the light heavyweight division? Do we see him as number two after Peter Beef? Generally, yeah, that's the consensus that he's the number two light heavyweight in the world. So that's not a cherry pick if you're not making him commit to the catch right. rate, right? Right. If he's not making him go to a catch rate, yeah, it says, a, it says an awful lot about Canelo. And that's why I think it's going to be a tough fight for Canelo. Originally, when it was made, I just was dismissive of Bivol's chances. But the more I analyzed the fight, Bivol likes to move around, keep out of Canelo's range. And if Canelo has any weaknesses, it's against slick, quick boxes. Not that Bivol, they jab and move. Yeah, they jab and then get slick, off the line. But he's fast. He can move around the ring and jab, create movement, maybe steal some of the early rounds, and, and maybe, you know, have a lead after six rounds. And then if he doesn't fold the second half of the fight, because Canelo generally wins his fights in the second half. The opponents can't keep up with them. It's kind of like a race. You know, they could keep up with Canelo till the halfway point, but eventually he just grinds them down. He, Jack, he has a way of coming in without moving his hands where he yeah. does put mental and physical pressure on these guys. He makes them exert themselves. And then when he senses they're trying to come up for air, that's when he starts working them over. Right. It's so It, it could be such a little thing like just one like hard left hook you know where he hurts a guy with it breaks his nose or whatever and then the guy gets his opponents become mentally discouraged late in the fight so the question is can Canelo damage Bivol the second half of the fight and my feeling is Bivol's gonna hang in there you know, not having to fight at a catch weight, I think it's going to go the distance. And I think it's going to be a close fight, maybe even a controversial decision in Canelo's favor. Okay, with some, you know, I think we're, we're talking about a close fight here. I'm going to go with Canelo in a close decision. And keep this in mind as the X factor. Uh, the majority of close rounds, Canelo's going to, if history is any indication, Canelo's going to be given the majority of the close rounds. So it's going to be hard to outpoint him. But uh, yeah, to get the decision, Bivol defeated Joe Smith by decision. So I, you can't rate him behind Joe Smith Jr. based on that fight. I just want to say one thing to correct what Lee Grove said about Lalonde having to make 168 because it was for the inaugural. WBC uh, super middleweight title that was thrown in late in the in the negotiations. The WBC title, Roland had the light heavyweight title. He didn't need the WBC 168 pound title because he wasn't right. going to defend it. Had he beaten Leonard, he exactly. He didn't want to be. He didn't want to be the junior middleweight champ. He didn't care about that. But to make history and give Sugar Ray another title. 
I think Tommy Hearns beat Leonard to that history-making thing because three days before he fought James Kinchin for, you know, another title too. Jack, Joe, Joe Bergman said something and he must be reading my notes. Yeah. Joe, I have it reading, yeah. written down what I was going to say. Bivol is better than plant. Stronger, yeah. but a little less awkward. His offense is just one twos these, these days. It's not imaginative like it used to be. But, Jack, I think that could work for him because he will not be trading hooks and uppercuts with Canelo. What I worry about is, did Bivol get hurt somewhere along the line because he's not as aggressive as he was? He doesn't sit on – his last six fights have gone the distance. And I do think to have a chance – He's got to put a little bit of sting on Canelo. If he could just give him that much trepidation about coming in, I coming in, I think it would make it would clear the way where he would have a better path to victory because Bill has a good left hand. He moves good. But Jack, I'll be honest with you. I don't know how good Bibble can catch to the header body. I've never seen him really, really, really rung. And I think that's going to be a big part is how good he takes it to the body, how good of a punch he takes. But I hope he comes out with the intent to try to put a little hurt on Canelo. But stylistically, I'm going to say this before the fight. I think if Canelo wins this fight, and I'm going to pick him to win, but he has to get credit. I don't want to hear one guy say, this is a cherry pick. No, it's not. Fighting the second best light heavyweight in the world by consensus, and a guy that has a style that normally troubles him, I I have to give him full credit if he wins. The only no, thing no, no, that's no. give him credit beforehand. Give him credit right now for taking the fight and not making Bival come in at a catch weight. Let's wait to see his performance because if we both think Bival won the fight, let's say it goes the distance, and Canelo gets a very controversial decision. Let's not be so fast to give him credit. What, the Jack, that's what I was saying. Yeah. If, I said, if Canelo wins and there's no controversy, to me, you could make a case that is a bigger win and, a, and more of a risk than Floyd Mayweather ever took. My fear is... I don't think that Bivol can knock Canelo out. So I think we both agree it's going to go the distance. Right? Um, yeah, yeah, we both do. And I, okay. I'm of the mind, Frank, that Canelo is slipping a little bit. I, I, I mean, I see signs. I see a beatable fighter in Canelo. It depends on who's good enough to cash in. I think Bivol is nearly good enough to cash in, but not quite. I think Canelo wins a close decision. Like I said, I could see it going six rounds apiece, but Canelo getting it on the judges' scorecard. I can't say I've seen Canelo slip yet, Jack, but here's my fear. Let, at least the way I see it, and because of all the money that's involved, and let's face it, nobody wants to see Bivol fight Peter B. They want to see Canelo fight him. I think in order for Bivol to get the decision, he probably has to win nine rounds of that fight where they just – can't shade it for Canelo, but I just think if it's close and there are swing rounds, which there could be, I just think the money's going to dictate. I am going to pick Canelo to win by a majority decision, and I think the next day we will read, unless he obliterates Bivol, which I don't see happening, but I think if it's a decision fight and Bivol's competitive a little bit, we're going to hear Cherry pick, cherry pick, cherry pick, and I don't agree. Let me let me bring up an element that no one else has mentioned, okay? Uh, let's say Bivol wins the fight. Let's say he wins it legitimately, clearly. Now he goes back to Russia. Does Putin use him for propaganda purposes and tell him he doesn't want him to have a rematch with Canelo? He wants him just to stay in Russia, be a... a a representative of the government, you know, kind of the way, yeah, I, like Hitler did with Max Schmeling. Jack, I, I don't know. I can't get in Putin's head. I would not be surprised if that happened. And it's like, it's still hard for me to picture that 
Canelo isn't going to win because it's a fight that he asked for. But again, I hearken back. No catch weight, no rehydration. He has to get credit if he wins. I think we both think he's going to win. But we agree before the fact, this is not a give me. This is a guy who is clearly bigger than him, that fights a style that has given him trouble. And the rest is basically up in the air. But if Canelo comes out and he's aggressive and he works the body and he beats Bivol up really bad or he stops him, man, that is a signature win for him. And he has to get full credit. Well, if Canelo clearly wins, he dominates. And let's say stops Bivol late in the fight, but he dominates and looks great. I think. You know, you have to rate him number one pound for pound in the world, even though consensus-wise he is that right now. I think you would have to put him ahead of Terrence Crawford if he has that type of dominating performance. Jack, I, that that is very hard to argue with. It all depends on your evaluation of what is pound for pound. If we're going to go by resumes, Canelo gets that. I still think that I think Chicago Crawford is the better is the fighter. Best. I think Stevenson is the best in actuality, but he doesn't have the resume. That's why even though I think Stevenson is the best pound-for-pound fight in the world, I wouldn't rate him as such because he doesn't quite have the resume yet. If Stevenson and Crawford were the same size, who would you pick? Right now, I'd go Stevenson to outpoint Crawford. If they okay, I, would prob- I would probably go with Crawford until I see more. But if Canelo, let's just say that Canelo wins. <laughs> what does he do after this? Does he go B or B? Does uh, he go Benavides? Gennady Golovkin for sure. Oh, that's right. He has that fight. But, Jack, I don't see any chance he loses that fight. Golovkin had shaky moments against Ryan Murata, But at the end of the day, Golovkin got the job done. And He's still formidable. He, right, right. So, listen, I... I think Canelo stops. Yeah, I don't think Canelo. I don't think Golovkin matches up with Canelo now. But I will say this: if Canelo doesn't damage Golovkin in the first few rounds, and Golovkin gets a full head of steam going, he's in the fight. Put it that way. I don't think he beats Canelo, but he's in the fight and has a chance. I would agree with that. I just think Canelo's quicker now. I just think he's a little bit more of the live fighter. And I really do think the carryover from the second fight will go into the 25th round of the rematch. But it all depends on how Canelo looks. What if he looks shaky against Bivol and he gets a controversial decision? There will be people the next That's day what picking Glover. That's what I think is going to happen, Frank. I just think he's got – I. I think Bivol has a style to bother him. I think it's going to go the distance, and I think it's going to be a close fight. That's the way yes. I see it. I don't know how I'm going to score it, you know, in advance. So, But, you know, we'll, we'll see. Jack, what I like about this fight is I have said on this show for a while that the two consensus top pound-for-pound pound fighters, um, Bivol, I'm sorry, Canelo and Crawford are the complete opposites on what they're vulnerable to. I think when we see Canelo get beat, it'll be by a guy who outboxes him, not a guy who walks through him and knocks him out. Conversely, I think when we see Terrence Crawford get beat, I think he's too good, too mean, too explosive to outbox. I think we'll see Crawford stopped when they lose and to me that dynamic is pretty interesting between the two top pound for pound guys because i think one's vulnerable to get knocked out the other one is vulnerable to be outboxed now canelo's fighting a guy who can outbox him when crawford fights spence he's going to fight a guy that's capable question before we have we conclude our show who gets beat first if you had to give a prediction canelo or crawford Oh, Jack, that's a tough one. I'm going to say Canelo. Yeah, I'd say Canelo, too. I think he's going to get beaten before Crawford. But if Crawford fights Spence and wins, and he fights Jaron Ennis next, 
I would have to think that because I think that highly. I hope I'm not jinxing the kid, Jack, but I really think that Jaron is, is a special fighter and will retire as a great like Crawford. It was a lot of fun, Frank. We'll have a lot more to talk about. Uh, next Welcome back. It was a great show. Thanks, Thanks. everybody for listening and for giving the show the boost that we've received. Thank you.